we'd like to welcome you back to part three of our current event and weekly Bible study for May 13th, 2018. The next part is entitled Renounce Jesus Christ, Alien Group, Aliens Demanded um, Group. So let's just go ahead and check this one out. Yes, I think it all comes down to end times biblical deception. So this guy was actually in the Raelian cult. Now, the Raelian cult I've done a study on a ways back, and um, just key in Rael, R-A-E-L, or Raelian, it's a cult. They believe in the ancient astronaut theory, that's what they teach in this cult. Um, It's just one of the many UFO cults out there. It's one of the bigger ones, they've been around quite a long time. And um, it's the same old line of garbage that we've just been talking about today, this particular cult. But this guy was actually in it, and this is just part of his experience. He's been interviewed by a lady named Laura Maxwell, who is an ex-spiritualist. I don't know if she's a born-again Christian now. I wasn't quite able to determine that, but I think she, she is. Um, so they have a pretty unique perspective. Yeah. And the Bible talks a lot about end times. I think Matthew 24 and other chapters in the Bible in the Old Testament and the New Testament. It talks about uh, a lot about deception as well. And also in First Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, I'll just read the verse now. Uh-huh. It says, Now the Spirit expressively says that in the latter times, which is the end times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. And a lot, a, lot of, a lot of these UFOs and aliens, it's all leading to a worldwide deception mm-hmm. just to, to prevent people from finding faith in the true gospel because the true message was given by Jesus Christ. And they're trying to say, we've got a message, we've got a gospel, this is the truth. And the, the true message was given by Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago in the New Testament that God so loved the world that he gave his only son, whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And there's the true gospel. It says in Galatians, in chapter 1, not to accept any other gospel, even if we or an, or, or, or an angel from heaven, which I could believe could, it could even be an alien. Mm-hmm. If anyone comes with a different gospel, whether it's an alien, an angel, or another Christian even, anyone who brings a different gospel than the gospel of Jesus Christ in the New Testament, that is a false gospel. Mm-hmm. And we have to warn people, and that's the reason why we've, we've, that God's given me this uh, this desire to warn other people, especially of the violent movement, yeah. and also of other cults, and also to let people know the true gospel of Jesus Christ, that God created life on earth, and that he loves us, and he sent his son to die for us. And it, and, that, and that's what I want to do. I want to get this message out there. And and, uh, and But also, I think this, this deception is, is, is a worldwide deception. A lot of scientists now, they're sending probes into space. I think it's in the news recently with Stephen Hawking mm-hmm. and he wants to send probes. He, he believes there's life on other planets and he wants to send out probes looking for life out there. So it's all, all there in the mainstream and also with like things like Hollywood and people are becoming conditioned to believing aliens all the TV shows and the adverts and mm-hmm. movies. It's all being geared up that way. Yeah. I don't know whether there'll actually be an alien encounter with it, it but I, 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 if, that, if that, an alien did appear, then I, I, believe, I would believe that was demonic. Yeah. Because the Bible warns us there's demons that, that, that desire to deceive mankind. 
and that's, it's a demonic deception, and that's what I want to warn people of that. Absolutely, and I would agree, you know, because um, I know people, whether they were light workers or me mediums or alien contactees, who have been given a range of messages like this. Um, yes. When these entities were confronted by the name of Jesus Christ, they showed that they were not these entities, that they were actually demons who were telling lies and, yeah, trying to just keep people away from Jesus. And it's interesting, all of these kind of uh, belief systems, any of these entities, one thing all these entities will say in common is that Jesus Christ is not the saviour. <laughs> it's like That's the one right. thing, funnily enough, it's like the one thing they all do agree on. So that would logic would say to you, well, is he or is he not? And let's and it's the only one they're ever concerned about with these alien abductees. It's the only one they ever emphasize. They don't talk about Buddha, Krishna, or any other cult out there on the planet. It's only Jesus Christ they're concerned about, which which just speaks volumes. Into this a little bit. So, did did you, um, whilst you were going there, did you ever wonder if it could be a deception? Did you ever think um, back about, you know, Bible stories and wonder if it was possibly a lie that these beings were telling lies or did you totally believe it all? I, did, I, I think I might, have had, I might have had a doubt now and then but I think I was yeah. so drawn into it slowly, day by day, week by week, month by month. I was more drawn into it as a getting, trying to find out more information, study the books more every day, get deeply involved in their practices in their teachings and I used to practice their meditation. I used to have meditation taste, which the cult had. Uh -huh. I used to practice the meditation techniques on my bed at home, lay on the bed and listen to these hypnotic voices. See, and also the meditation. And again, what was I just getting today in the email? That's mass meditation. What's the, you know, what to expect this week? What's the solar patterns? Or what can you expect if you do your meditations? And, you know, it, it's, it's witchcraft. It's what it really boils down to. And it's literally something that Satan is depending upon, that collective energy of humanity that's directed in meditation, which essentially is, is witchcraft, uh, to usher in the coming New World Order and the false prophet and Antichrist. I went to a two-week, uh, it's like an, a course of awakening in France, and they had a like an awakening course and it was a it was quite a strange experience because uh, mm -hmm. they'd done these deep meditation techniques and also done astral projection where you would float out your body in, in this hypnotic trance in your mind and under this hypnotic voice and you would float out of your body you'd float above the earth you would visit other planets you, you want to know more about astral projection just key in astral well probably astral projection and the keywords keyword search box that can i've done studies on that is it these aliens? It was like to condition your mind and your body to awaken yourself to the new age. Mm -hmm. Well, at the time, I found it fantastic, and I, and I felt like this spiritual higher, so well, not 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 a, not a not a spiritual in the sense of God, but like a, a so-called spiritual awakening in, in my to this new age cult, you know. Mm -hmm. And it was like a, a, my mind was becoming. It felt it felt on a higher level, like what the Buddhists call nirvana. Yeah. I was slowly reaching that higher consciousness, and it was quite an amazing experience. At the time, it was fantastic. I I, I enjoyed being in, in this in this uh, in this cult. I enjoyed the meditation techniques. Yeah. And we even we even worshipped these beings. There was like uh, 
we, we, we have these things like I, I worship these beings and I accept them and I, there, there is no God and we even signed a contract saying there was no God and stuff like that. And then at the time, I didn't realise what I was doing because I was so caught up. You, you don't realise that, that it's... The aliens made him sign a contract that said there is no God. That's how important it is for you to renounce Jesus. Monica at the time, because I uh -huh. wasn't aware of a demonic realm, because I, you, you don't realise these things exist until you awaken to them, you know. Yeah. And uh, so that, that was... And then at that became, it was, uh, we also had to renounce God. We had to, I even walked across a crucifix wow. to renounce any belief in God. It was very demonic. Mm, that's very interesting. So he had to walk across a crucifix to renounce any belief in God. The reason I'm saying that is because this audio is so bad. She's so loud and he's so light that you may not have caught that. Really interesting yes. because it's the kind of thing that some Satanist groups do and um, exactly. it, it just shows you that Jesus is God because why would they use Jesus exactly. as the one to denounce? Yeah. yeah. Yes. I mean, we had to sign a contract and write to because because we were christened in the Church of England. We had to write to the uh, to to, the, to to our Church of England church where we were christened and renounced that in a letter saying that we no longer accept that. Mm. So it wasn't it wasn't just enough to do a contract with the aliens. They wanted you to send it to the church. He was Christian christened at at the church of england to let them know that he had renounced god evidently i mean but you know this is the priorities of satan here so it was very anti-god very very demonic practices even though i wasn't aware of it at the time i was deceived in sure. doing these things uh -huh. through my belief in this cult you know mm -hmm. so he goes on to talk about how he ended up getting saved which you know praise the lord um, but, and that's about a 56 minute interview. We only heard about seven minutes of it. So, uh, the link is there. That was the pertinent part that I wanted to cover on that, uh, for the sake of time. Now here's another one, uh, powerful devils rebuked by calling on Jesus. This is very interesting too. Now this is a little different. Sorry, I'm waiting for this page to load here. Hello, I'm Andrew Lewis Edelman, and I'm going to briefly share with you a testimony to Jesus Christ. It's a pretty heavy-duty one. Let's see, I started out, I was brought into witchcraft when I was 11 years old. I was in my 20s. I found myself visiting an occult bookshop. bought this cassette tape that had uh, the pictures of Palladian aliens on the front. There's that Palladian word again. Uh, dressed in Egyptian garb. They had uh, peach-colored skin and bright blue eyes, a little different from the alien greys that you normally see. They, they looked real friendly and, and supposedly listened to this music. It's like an ancient Mesopotamian, Babylonian-sounding music on it, recorded with uh, 30, 33 crystals or something in the room in the studio and did this rich, ritual dance and I did this for about a little over probably about a month and out of the blue one day just looking in the closet for something to wear I used the Lord's name in vain when I said that uh, a part hole opened up wow 
black circle that just opens up like a pupil dilating. First, just saw one flash before me, then a second, then a third, then all three in front of me. It looked like alien, alien grays. I looked deep into the eye of the one in the front, and I remember like we connected. It's like a, and I felt like scrambling my thoughts. Like it got into my psyche. Is reading everything about me. So, a little more on the Pleiadians. Um, if you just do a, a image search on the internet, you're gonna find like it's it's the classic Nordics, um, blonde hair, blue eye, just perfect features. I've heard tons and tons of accounts though of these things shape shifting into what they really are, which a lot of times are reptilians, greys, hideous creatures. Um, all this stuff, and, um, it looks like to me, like this one, uh, see, I'm, I'm, there's so many ascended masters, it's hard to keep up with them, but, um, I'm just, I'm doing a quick keyword search here, and, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's all part of this ascended master hierarchy, which really, if you think about it, it would be absolutely the most palatable version of aliens to to present to humanity where people would be most willing to accept them just because of their looks alone and they're all they're always going to play the good guy they're always here for our benefit they're here to deliver us from all the bad malevolent aliens and evidently this guy then took um the name of the lord in vain he was in his closet and um that's when this portal opened up in his closet and he had this he had this encounter that he's going to describe here and then I saw like a screen floating in the air and I could still see them and I could see the screen and it showed me like visions of like riches and like, gold and jewels and rubies and diamonds and, and a light voice talking to me, a real gentle voice. It sounded like, like the voice of God might sound. Um, and it was talking to me and it said, I will give you all of these things if you will bow down. If you will deny your God and bow down and worship us as God. And again, it's the same exact thing that was told to Jesus, essentially, by Satan after he'd fasted 40 days, 40 nights in the wilderness. Uh, basically, that was the kind of like the, the start of, the starting point of his ministry, his, the main part of his ministry on the planet. It was once he got done with that fast. And this is the same temptation that Satan, you know, offered Jesus. So that's what they told me telepathically. Their mouths did not move. Okay. And then I, I stood back and said, if this is my destiny, so be it. If not, in the name of the blood of Jesus Christ, I command you to go back into the foul abyss from whence you came. Nice. When I said that, yeah. in the name of the blood of Jesus Christ, they <laughs> instantly transformed from the alien gray look and showed their, what they really looked like. Yeah, They were like these hideous, see-through, like jellyfish-like blob, dark maroon, red-colored things with black, horny-toed horns like all over their bodies. And they, I, they were handsome devils. You couldn't take that away from them. They were like still real big, but they were like trying to squeeze in a look at me because it was like 
bright light coming from me from the Holy Spirit of God. <laughs> Praise the Lord. I rejected the offer. I was at the crossroads selling my soul to the devil, getting into that witchcraft, new age garbage. And Jesus Christ called me back and saved me in a nick of time. Yeah, I mean, he was already into the call. He was already doing, you know, I mean, interacting with these things. So, praise the Lord Jesus Christ that, that, that he had that conviction at that time. And instantly they got shrieking and got sucked back into that black black portal, dilated, and they were gone. And the whole room, my room was like filled with this, like, real comfortable, warm, glowing light. And I felt God's presence so strong. And I... Praise the Lord. I humbled myself. And I, I told God I would never, ever, ever mess with that garbage ever again. Please forgive me, Lord. And ever since that day... I have noticed things around me more, and uh, I believe it's part of my mission here in this life to point these things out to people when I see them, and to let you know the truth and how you can fight these things if you ever come into battle with anything evil. Amen. Jesus Christ will deliver you. Praise God. Amen. To be God bless him. Woo! So here we're seeing all these different people, but it's all the same story. And that wasn't even really, you know, that wasn't an alien abduction scenario. That was basically, okay, here's a deal with the devil scenario. Yes, they presented themselves as, as grays in that particular instance, but they came as very, very nice grays, soft-spoken. The Bible says that, that um, if Satan can, can uh, present himself as an angel of light, it's no marvel that his ministers can manifest as ministers of righteousness, and that, you know, that could be even in in human type form. And you think of a of a preacher that, you know, is is acting like he's a Christian, but actually inwardly he's a ravening wolf, um, appearing as a minister of righteousness. That could be a human. That could be, in this particular case, a, a gray alien acting like, or a Nordic, acting like, okay, we're we just want to bless you. We want to give you all these things and all just bow down and worship us and, and deny Jesus. You know, there's always some big gigantic catch there. So, uh, we have that now, and now we're going to switch gears again. And this is a Sasquatch attack. Stop by calling on the name of Jesus. So let's go ahead and listen to this one. Was, uh, happened several decades ago. It was reported to me by, a former high school math teacher from Chicago, just very solid fellow. Yeah. You know, talk about bona fide witnesses. Um, he would be it. And he was uh, riding his new bike and along the bike path on the Des Plaines River, right where I had uh, described earlier. And he decided to stop. It was very early in the morning and watch <clears> the sunrise. <throat> so he kind of parked his bike and sat down amongst some uh, tall plants and was just looking across the river at this peaceful scene when all of a sudden this small group of very large brown-furred creatures appeared on the other side of the river. 
Now, that there's not a great deal of width, and it's pretty shallow. You know, so it's not like he was um, really protected by anything. And he's sitting there, extremely startled, not knowing what to do, and he's watching this one come forward. He realized that they look like Bigfoot. And this one just kind of leisurely reached up and uh, pulled on a vine from the tree. And all of a sudden, to his horror, he realized that he was sitting in ragweed. It was that time of year, Mm -hmm. and he had to cough and sneeze. And immediately, the Bigfoot came into the water, and while it was out of sight, he decided he had better move quickly. And so he went to another... um, pushed his bike as quietly and quickly as he could, hoping to get out of its sight of view, only to watch it surface right in front of where he had just been sitting. And he said it was picking up these flat river rocks off the bottom of the river and heaving them over its head at his exact former sitting position. So that was terrifying. And he said it had swum across, evidently, and the hair was all wet, so that he could st- he could see one of its ears where the hair was kind of wet back from the face, which is something I haven't heard people describe. And he said it looked rather like a human ear. It was, you know, kind of small and flat against the head, but it was pointed. Um, I'm just coming to the best part of it. When the uh, creature realized that the young man wasn't sitting anymore, sitting where he had been because the young man had to sneeze again, um, he quickly turned around and started heading straight for him. The other two or three that he'd seen on the other side of the river were, he said, were kind of jumping and, and making grunts and noises and howls as if um, he he didn't know if they were, that was directed at him or if they were trying to get the other one, which I'm assuming was probably like a, a an older juvenile back to them, like, are you crazy? You're interacting with a human. Stop it. But it chased him on the bike path all the way back to the parking lot or almost to it. And he said by the time they were close to the parking lot, he had still had the river on one side, the woods on the other, and he called out for God to save him. I think he, he said he yelled, help me, Jesus. And then all of a sudden it was not pounding after him anymore. He doesn't know. He, he actually thought it probably jumped into the woods, but he couldn't be sure because he didn't see it. He didn't hear any splashing sound but it was just gone. And I met him there in researching this book, and we walked those paths and everything, and it was kind of uh, incredible. But you could see exactly where everything was that he had described and uh, checked out, and then to find that there was a UFO sighting very close by um, during that same time period was was very interesting. Yeah, a lot of times you'll see these entities uh, together. Uh, Bigfoot and UFOs are a very common one. They're all on the same team at the end of the day. There may be different factions, and they may not even like one another. I mean, it's not like Satan's king or a bunch of kingdoms, a bunch of buddy buddies. You know, one big kumbaya, arm in arm, you know, type of thing. Um, but they, uh, I've heard that over and over again. Bigfoot sightings with UFO sightings and gray aliens together. Uh, another one I had heard, I think I've said this on air before, was the one, I believe it was Bill Schneblin's book, where the little boy, there was a little boy, and he was riding his bike, it was similar to this kind of, and, and uh, I don't know, he was in like a, he's, I don't know if he was on the outskirts of like this, um, 
city dump and he looked over this thing and in this pile of garbage or whatever and there was like a i don't know not a ravine but but where the garbage was went a lot lower and there was a cultist there doing some type of ceremony uh there's a and there was a werewolf there as well and i'm not remembering all the details but essentially what ended up happening is is they saw the kid because i think he gasped and and was you know i don't know if he screamed the werewolf starts to come after him and those werewolves can cover a lot of ground very quickly typically in in a physical sense you're not going to outrun any of these things you're not going to outrun a bigfoot they're very very fast um or werewolf or anything like that and um this thing started coming after him and the kid was riding down the road i think he got onto the road and this thing was chasing after him and right as the thing lunged at him and was like literally i think in mid-air he cried out jesus and i don't know if he said jesus help me or or or, or what the actual words were and it was like you had thrown like battery acid on the thing that's an- another thing that will happen with the grays when people get abducted and they call out in the name of jesus if if the person's conscious because a lot of times they may not be totally like they may be paralyzed they may not be able to see around the room but if they can a lot of times what it what it is shown as is it's like they it's like throwing battery acid on these things and they start just climbing the walls and wanting to get out of there any stinking way they can get away from it and that's a very another very common theme so i've seen this theme all throughout you know different i don't care if it's werewolves dogmen bigfoot ale it doesn't matter we we have that authority but if we have no faith to believe that then we really don't have much authority because we're not walking in faith and and i'm not saying you couldn't even if you were scared i'm not saying you couldn't call upon the name of jesus and that wouldn't work i'm just saying i really believe the more faith you have the better you're going to do in these types of situations um it's just like i said before faith is like a muscle and the more you use it the stronger it gets and so um that's yet one more story now let's go ahead and there was a comment about this particular little video we just heard this little audio um a comment by naming named paul holbrook he said tom powell is a bigfoot and paranormal investigator out in oregon he is a former high school biology teacher and he doesn't seem a bit religious okay he's just crazy is that i just listened to a interview with Corey good who is like i mentioned him earlier he is on like the literal spear tip of bringing in like the um alien disclosure agenda i mean he's supposedly like the number one ambassador on earth for these alien entities to bring this in even more so than stephen greer and he even admitted in like this three minute interview that he had at one point he had had like all the stuff done to him and he had dark entities attached to him and he used the name of jesus from his christian background in order to get rid of them he even admitted that which i was like wow dude really i mean i wasn't expecting him to say that even he admitted it so i don't know i i, I just pray that guy gets saved if it be possible 
Anyway, he goes on to say, this guy, Tom Powell, the Bigfoot and paranormal researcher, uh, who doesn't seem a bit religious, in his recent book on Bigfoot and the paranormal, which is called Edges of Science, he states that invoking the name of Jesus out loud has saved the lives of other paranormal investigators when confronted by threatening entities. <laughs> so this is like becoming just common knowledge, well known, but it's kind of still like the big secret. You know, because you don't want to be labeled. You, you know, it's better to be abducted and tortured and, you know, all that other stuff than rather be labeled because you called upon the name of Jesus. Um, when confronted by threatening entities, he says that you say loudly and with conviction that you know Jesus and that you are friends with Jesus and that he will protect you. If said with conviction, he says the danger will suddenly cease. It's the name above every other name. Okay, but this other guy does bring up a good point. He makes a comment and he says, okay, but be careful with that. If you don't really know him and follow him, read about the seven sons of Sceva in the Bible. It didn't work out too well for them. So that's a very, very good point. You know, it's not something that you would want to teach a new ager to do just for the sake of saving his own hide. He needs to get saved is the bottom line. They need to get saved. Now, if that is how they end up getting saved... Like, let's say, okay, they're not a Christian and they do cry out in the name of Jesus and they, and they really mean it with conviction even though they're not saved and Jesus does deliver them. Just like that guy that we just saw, he wasn't saved, you know. Um, he had to have some kind of Christian background. The one guy that, uh, that, that had the portal open up in his closet, he had to have some kind of Christian background in order to know to say that, you know. And that was pretty impressive what he said, you know. And... At that point, that's when I believe he got he got saved. His conversion took place because he saw the power. Now that's what I'm talking about right there. You know, using this as a tool to get people saved that are caught up in the paranormal and the occult and these when they actually see who has the real power. And it's not Satan. So the last one we're gonna play here, and this is gonna be over 30 minutes. This is the last video. It's called Dogman Encounter, uh, Government Cover-Up. And again, I, I, honestly, if you go up on the internet now, the, the Dogman Encounters are, are just as prevalent as the um, Bigfoot Encounters. And, and Dogmen are typically bigger, nastier, meaner than the Bigfoot. Bigfoot, you're looking at anywhere from usually 7 to 8 feet, sometimes up to 12. Dogmen, I've heard, get up to 20. Um... The dogmen, a lot of people have uh, interactions with Bigfoot, and some people think they're these nice, big, furry, brown creatures like Harry and the Hendersons and stuff. And, the, and, and some of these appear to be more, like, peaceful than others. They're all wicked. They're all evil. Bottom line. Some are much more aggressive than others, though. With dogmen, they're always, 100% of the time, extremely aggressive, extremely nasty, and, and are one of the worst i don't in fact i don't know anything worse than dogmen as far as just being vicious and having the potential to kill i don't know of anything out there that i mean because a werewolf's not going to be as big as a dogman typically werewolf are about as vicious as they get but they're typically not as big as a dogman so let's go further here this is Crypto PTSD, a place for those who have seen the unknown and now must face a new reality. For we know 
monsters are real, and they live just outside your door. So join us every Monday night to hear the encounters from the survivors themselves. It could do worse than kill you. I mean, it just seemed like it could suck you so well. Well, initially I said, don't even look back, John. Don't even look back. I could feel the blood rush from my face, thinking these were my last moments. What am I going to do? Hello everybody, this is your host Dustin, and I'd like to welcome you back to another episode of Crypto PTSD. I want to remind everyone that if you haven't joined the Crypto PTSD family yet, hit that subscribe button, I'll send you a notification every Monday when we upload our new shows. If you're listening, and you've had an encounter, and you'd like to be a guest on the show, send me an email. My email address is CryptoPTSD at gmail.com. And don't forget to put encounter in the subject line. If you're listening to us on iTunes, please take the extra minute to rate and review. It really helps out the show. Let's go ahead and talk about the show tonight. Tonight we've got a special show for you guys. We've got two guests on tonight. The first guest I'd like to bring on is Chuck. Everybody knows him from episode 26. Chuck, welcome back to the show, man. Thanks, Dustin. It's it's good to be back on the air with you. Um, I'm happy you're here. And the second guest, Tim, and it's the first time we've spoke. Chuck introduced yeah, yeah, us yeah. here, but welcome to Crypto PTSD. I'm glad to have you on. Proud to be on here. I appreciate the invitation. Absolutely. And Tim Baker, everybody knows him as Kumbo. I don't think he needs uh, much explaining. Everyone should know who I'm talking about there. But why don't you guys start off by telling us a little bit about how you guys know each other? I can start if you want me to, Tim. Okay, yeah. I uh, I I have been a. Uh, I was yeah, like, one of the reasons I picked this episode here is there's so many on on the internet. I mean, there's so many, but I tend to try to pick ones that are firsthand accounts and where you've got multiple people that can verify uh, that that stuff like this is going on, especially with like Bigfoot and Dogman. I, I try to, and this is you've got two different guys cross verifying one another. Uh, and but again, there's literally hundreds of these online. Huge fan uh, of the outlaws, and I have learned over the years lots and lots of information that just really has helped me out in everything that I do and uh, what to look for. And and uh, a mutual acquaintance uh, of ours kind of introduced me to Tim and Tim to me. That's basically how we kind of met and tell you what, it's, it's been, uh, it's been a crazy ride for sure. Uh, you know, after we were sort of introduced long distance wise, I spoke to Chuck on the phone several times and, and figured out that, yeah, he'd been around boogers. He, <laughs> he, uh, he knew, you know, knew what he was. Now boogers is kind of a slang term for, and it depends what part of the country you're from that they will typically you know, like country boys typically refer to the Bigfoot as boogers. And I mean, it's, it's so common in certain localities where these things are prevalent. And I mean, it's not like anything that's really debatable. It just is what it is. And they call them, they call them boogers. I was talking about, and I looked at, I looked, looked his website over and everything or his Facebook page over. And we had a uh, little, a uh, little outing coming up. Uh, back in, uh, I believe it was October, wasn't it, Chuck? And, uh, yes, sir. Where we were going. We were going back to the LBL, Land Between the Lakes, and I twisted his arm. The LBL, the Land Between the Lakes. Remember that, because that's where this this whole episode takes place. I was never even aware of this place, but uh, they're going to get into this. Uh, I This is just crazy, this story. 
arm and got him to come. I promised him that I wouldn't feed him to the dog men, and uh, <laughs> and so uh, we got to spend a few days in the fields uh, there in LBL back in October. That that was probably uh, the longest eleven hour drive I think I've ever made in one day, but uh, the I. It was one heck of a trip, and and I wouldn't have missed that for the world. It was beautiful country, and and you know I met some really amazing people while I was there, so I really enjoyed it. Right after I met you, I think when when I met you and we left in Honabi, you were telling me about the trip with Kumbo you had planned to the LBL. Isn't that right? That is correct. I you know when you had me on the show, uh, I knew that it was coming up, and I, and I really wanted to talk about it because I. I was uh I, I was really excited about this trip to LBL. I had, you know, I'd heard a lot of things about LBL, and, and I'd listened to uh, Kumbo talk about some of the things that happened there and some of the history of the place. And so I was really uh, I was really excited. To, uh, that was one of the places I had on my bucket list to go to eventually. And uh, so when when Kumbo, so just so you know a little bit more about this, and I wasn't aware of this. Um... Welcome to, I mean, I'm on this website. It's just unbelievable website. Welcome to the Land Between the Lakes, 1,700-acre playground in western Kentucky and Tennessee. And, um, it, yeah, I mean, it looks beautiful. It's evidently a, still to this day, because this actually took place a long time ago, you're going to hear the story, um, uh, a big camping destination uh, there's a lot of different things it looks like that you can do there. Um, hunting. Uh, there's a lot of, obviously, like kayaking and canoeing and stuff like that, backpacking. Um, I'm just looking at all the, kind of like the different things or whatever. But I'm just kind of wanting to know more about this because at the time I meant to research a little bit more. As part of America's great outdoors since 1963, Land Between the Lakes National Recreation Area manages over 1,700, I'm sorry, over 170,000 acres of forest, wetlands, and open lands on a peninsula between Kentucky and Barclay Lakes in western Kentucky and Tennessee. Family-friendly family friendly recreation area offers one of the largest blocks of undeveloped forest in the eastern United States. With 300 miles of natural shoreline, lake access provides idyllic settings for camping, picnicking, hiking, fishing, boating, wildlife viewing, and water sports. License hunts for deer, turkey, squirrel, and other small game occur throughout the year. So anyway, I just want to give have you a little bit understanding. Cause I had never heard of this place, and and it's just wow, it sounds amazing. Now I'm just I wanted to find a map of this. Yeah, and it's this big long strip of land between. Kentucky Lake and um, Lake Barclay. Barclay. And it's funny because I'm looking at this thing and like at the very bottom it looks like it's uh, you know there's there's some telltale signs of stuff here. The Devil's Backbone State Natural Area. Whenever you see that there's typically real reasons why they call it that. Then the, and then if you go up to like the middle part there's the devil's elbow. So you get the devil's backbone, you get the devil's elbow. Maybe the devil's foot bone is next, I don't know. Um, let me see if there's any other devil 
stuff here. But anyway, I wanted to just give you a, kind of an overview because when I was listening to this, the one thing I was racking my brain about is where is this place? And uh, it looks, yeah, I mean, it looks pretty sizable. Asked me if I would come, man. I I hopped at the chance and wanted to. I wanted to go and and man, I, I wouldn't have missed that for the world. So had a great time there. All right. Well, we've got a big show playing tonight, so let's go ahead and get into it. I know Kumbo has some dogman stories lined up for us about the LBL. A little bit of uh, insider stories that I know you guys got on the trip, but now we're going to get to share with the listeners. So. Kumbo, if you want to just take it off, I'll let you get through them. And depending on how many there are, I may stop you and ask you a few questions, and then we'll move on. And then these sure. guys also brought some photos. So once Kumbo gets done, Chuck is going to go mm-hmm. over those photos with us. But Kumbo, go ahead and take it away, man. Okay. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna do a little bit of a uh, Reader's Digest version of you know the some of the history of. Of, of LBL and things that have been going on in there and you know, weird things that have been going on for for decades in there. In fact, uh, really and truly, there's stuff you can you can go back and look at history and there's a lot of a lot of stories and stuff that have been going on in there. Time even before white men were in the area, it was for centuries. It was disputed territory between. The Shawnee Indians and the, I think maybe the Chickasaw tribe. For people, that, let me let me digress a little bit. For people that don't know the lay of the land up there, the land between the lakes is a long peninsula that's uh, maybe 40, 50 miles long, and it lies in between the Tennessee River and the Cumberland River. Uh, they both dump into the Ohio River fairly close to each other, but just upstream. So the the Cumberland River is also the same part as the um, uh, Lake Barkley. So I, I guess they're kind of like one and the same. And it's this big peninsula that juts up here. And um, the, now the peninsula is is it's not just like this big uh, that it's not connected. At the bottom, it does look like it's eventually uh, connected to dry land. But this peninsula is what they're they're in reference to, and it's just yeah, um, very very interesting. From the Ohio River, you know, in, into the Tennessee River and into the Cumberland River, they built the Tennessee Valley Authority and the Corps of Engineers built two large dams with uh, hydroelectric plants in them, you know, for generating electricity. And the one in the Tennessee River is called uh, Kentucky Dam. And the one in uh, the Cumberland River is called Barkley Dam, and they backed up the river and you know made two very large lakes that are like 70, 80 miles long, right. and you know a mile and a half, a mile to two miles wide in places. And they dug a canal between the two rivers, just uh, just upstream from the the two dams. So they're it's one big continuous body of water. You can barge traffic can go out of the Tennessee River into the through this canal and directly into the Cumberland River, and then the Cumberland River goes on up and you know to like Nashville, Tennessee, and the Tennessee River goes on up 
um, into North Alabama, passes through the Muscle Shoals area and Decatur and Huntsville, Alabama, goes all the way up through Chattanooga, Tennessee, and you can keep on going all the way up uh, past Knoxville, Tennessee, on the Tennessee Riverside. Anyway, right uh, in the area to the south of those two dams is this long peninsula of land between the two rivers. And because of, uh, of, the, fa- of the fact that these two rivers sort of separate this land from everything around it, it's always been sort of a, a real backwards sort of area, or not really backwards. It's always been a, a really out-of-the-way type place. It's, uh, it sort of had its own economy and everything. It, uh, you know, the only way that the inhabitants that live there could deal with uh, the surrounding areas, you know, they had to get in their boats, had to, had to go by boat or barge or something like that to, uh, to get out, you know, to get, get out of the area. So it was, it was a very isolated, geographically isolated area. And like I said, there's old legends of, of spirits and skinwalkers and stuff like that that go all the way back into the time prior to the white man coming into the area. I remember if it was President Kennedy or President Johnson decided to make it a, uh, a national recreation area back in the 60s, and they forced all the inhabitants of the area to move out. And so the place is covered with old home sites and cemeteries and and just the remainders of the the civilization that was there prior to the creation of the National Recreation Area. And uh, this, you know, it's, I think it's the name of it is the Land Between the Lakes National Recreation Area is what it's called, I believe, is the official name. But stories of weird goings on in that area didn't stop uh, when they made all the people move out of it. Matter of fact, in some areas, they, the stories got to be even more common as as people started coming back in there camping and such. And uh, the most well-known incident that happened in there, that has happened in there, happened in back in 1982, supposedly. <clears throat> it was a family of four that was killed in an RV campground there at the north end of, of LBL. As the story goes, uh, what happened was this family they were uh, they were very they were a well to do family and they came in there around the end of February first part of March and they were wanting to get in there and do some camping before spring break you know before all the schools were out for spring break you know before it got crowded so but <clears throat> as it happened there were very very few other people in the park at the time so they they came in there and they there at the north end of, of LBL, this, this RV park was, if not the fanciest, one of, one of the fanciest uh, RV parks in, the, uh, in LBL. And I'm not sure if even today if they have anything as nice as what that park was then. Uh, I mean, this place had, uh, you know, it had ba- uh, bathhouses and, and uh, full, full hookups and... Um, well, I'm not sure if it had full hookups or not, it, but certainly had it had water and electricity. I'm not sure. I don't believe it had sewer hookups. But um, uh, anyway, um, the people came in late in the afternoon, and <clears throat> they backed 
their RV into the into a slot, and were setting up. And a the man was uh, the man was uh, leveling up the RV using the leveling jacks. And back in the day, back in the 1980s, they didn't have these automatic leveling systems on RVs like they do now. And you had to manually crank down the jacks and you know look at a, a bubble level to to see if, if the thing was level or not. And he was cranking down the jacks up on the front end of the RV. And this was uh, a little after four o'clock in the afternoon. And being that it was that time of the year, it wasn't daylight savings time yet, so it was it was getting you know dusky dark. And <clears throat> this uh, all of a sudden, a dog man came around the corner of the RV and grabbed the man while he was down on his hands and knees and dismembered him, ripped his head off, pulled his arms out. And I've heard some stories say that they pulled off one of his legs. I've had other stories say that, that the legs were intact. There was a little boy that was there with him, like a, about a, a 11, 12-year-old boy. The boy took off running and tried to run into the RV. The dog man caught him before he, about the time he got to the door of the RV, and he killed the little boy. The mother, who was inside the RV, she hears all the screaming and yelling, and Run, goes to the door to see what you know, what's going on, and sees the the dog man kill. Possibly saw the dog man kill the little boy. But at any rate, the thing then went after her, and the mother, uh, you know, having you know the motherly instinct had kicked in, and plus you know horrendous fright. And her, the adrenaline was pumping like crazy, <clears throat> and she put up a hellacious fight against the uh, the dog man. The dog man tore its way into the into the RV, and she fought literally tooth and toenail. And the inside of the RV, according to law enforcement officers, uh, looked like a slaughterhouse in there. But it eventually killed her. But the woman fought it so much that it. She actually tore her fingernails out and was all the way down to the bone in the end of her fingers fighting this, this dog man. And <clears throat> So he was literally tearing his way. He'd already dismembered the dad. The, the boy was killed. Now he's he's tore his way in. They're so big that he would have to literally, he couldn't fit through the door most likely. He'd, he'd have to like either go in sideways or just widen the door in order to get in they're so big and he was trying to get to the mom and she was fighting tooth and nail to to you know against it 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 killed her and somehow it knew that the fourth member of the family apparently it, it hurt hurt her but there was a little nine-year-old girl and she had locked herself into the back room of the oh. rv and it tore into there and got her and drug her outside. I'll come back to the little girl later. In the meantime, so the, the dog man has the little girl and he drags her off. Some minutes later, a car came driving through the, through the campground and just happened to notice, <coughs> 
looked over there and saw the uh, the RV sitting there, and it was daylight enough that they saw the man's body laying there, or what was left of his body, laying there in front of the RV. And I don't know if they turned in there and shined their headlights on it or whatever, but they saw enough to realize that the man had been torn torn apart. And they hauled that out of there, and they hit the trace, which that's the, the road that runs north and south up and down the middle of the RV, uh, middle of LBL is called the trace. Right. And they took off to the north uh, up the trace and out of the LBL and into the little town of Grand Rivers, Kentucky. And they went tearing into Grand Rivers and went someplace where they could get to a, a telephone. I'm literally looking at everything this guy's saying as he's talking because I'm looking at a map. And every single thing he's saying is lining up with the, the actual map I'm looking at. J- just so you know. Now, I've heard various stories about you know where they actually stopped. But at any rate, they contacted law enforcement. And <clears throat> so the very first people who responded to this were were police policemen from the town of uh, of Grand Rivers and possibly from that from that uh, sheriff's office there of whatever county that is in, in Kentucky. But they go tearing back into into LBL and they find the man's body. They find the uh, the little boy's body. And by this time the you know sheriff's deputies were getting there and I think maybe also some park rangers uh, from the from land between the lakes, you know, these are Department of Interior uh, employees. They started getting there, mm-hmm. and <clears throat> they, of course, they the man's body is there, the little boy's body is there, and the woman's body is there. They're looking around in the RV, and they discover the clothes of the that belonged to the little nine-year-old daughter. They, and she's unaccounted for. So they start looking for her. In the meantime, two law enforcement officers go walking uh, down the hill towards, in a, and there's a big draw, or as we call them down south of Holler, uh, right beside this RV spot, uh, the, the particular slot that they were in. And this Holler goes down to the river, to the Cumberland, on the Cumberland River side. And they start walking down this holler for some reason, and <clears throat> and they're shining their flashlight down down the holler. And they stop, and one of them is standing there, and he's shining his light light down in the woods, and something starts dripping on his hat. He's got on a you know smoked bear hat, you know a, a flat brim, what a lot of people call a campaign hat. A lot of law enforcement officers wear them, and. Um, Anyway, something's dripping on his hat, and he looks up, and it drips in his face, and he turns around and he and he's and he's uh you know trying to wipe the stuff out of his face and out of his eyes, and the guy the officer standing behind him said, "Damn, what what'd you do? What, what happened?" And he got blood all over your face. He said, "He said blood." And he said, "Yeah, he got blood all over your face." And he the guy wiped his. You know, looked at his hand. He had blood all over his hand where he'd been 
trying to wipe this stuff out of his ass. And then they they realized, oh, my God. And they shined up in the tree above them. And there is a little girl's body hanging in the tree 30 feet off the ground. And um, 30 feet. Huh? So, I mean, these things are, they can get real big. I'm not saying he was 30 feet tall necessarily, but they, dogmen are generally very big. When they later got her body down out of the tree, she had been partially eaten. She'd been fed on. <sighs> and <clears throat> they found enough evidence that they knew that it wasn't a cougar and they knew it wasn't a bear. And the locals that were from around the area, they had heard stories of these werewolves and these skinwalkers and dog men and stuff like that. And they pretty quickly come to the conclusion of, of what they're dealing with. And what I understand happened after that is that they pretty much used all the local law enforcement to to shut down access to the area to basically secure the perimeter of a large part of the, the north part of, of LPL. And they brought in special forces from Fort Campbell, Kentucky, which is literally almost right across the river. I mean, it's, it's less than, as a crow flies, probably less than 20 miles away, maybe 30 miles away. And what I was told from talking to a law enforcement officer that I knew that, that worked up there and lived up there was that they, they filled the river with boats. So if anything tried to swim, escape out of there by swimming, that, that they would, they could stop it. They had people all over the banks of the, uh, of the river on the opposite side from LBL in case something swam under the boat and then tried to come up out of the water, uh, you know, on the other side of the, of the lakes, either Barkley Lake or Kentucky Lake. I mean, this had to be a gigantic undertaking, and yet this type of stuff still will never see the light of day in the press. It's only going to be local people that, that know about this, and the ones that are there are going to be told to keep their mouths shut. The ones in law enforcement, the ones doing these manhunts, these types of things, and they're going. And then a lot of times they'll go in and intimidate. Well, I just heard a whole story today about a lady that actually killed a Bigfoot uh, in her, um, in her, on her property, and you know she had she had the, the all these guys visiting her in, in the government intimidation the next day for like the next I don't even know how long. There was more of them on the property. That was a whole other one. I, I didn't want to end up playing that because it, it went on for quite a long time. But, I mean, they will come in just like men in black type of scenario where they're going to come in and they're going to intimidate you. They're going to find out what you know. They're going to tell you to shut up if you know it's good for you and, and never breathe a word about this. It's very, very important for them to keep this stuff under wraps. And they lined people up. They lined military up literally from shore to shore across the peninsula and had them start walking, you know, working their way north. And they were almost shoulder to shoulder. And what I was told was that their orders were, if it was brown, it was down. If it moved and it was bigger than a squirrel, kill it. <laughs> I was also told that they 
that they think that they found the dog man that, that did it and that they killed it in a hollow to just to the south of the campground. And this hollow is very deep and it's got uh, bluff shelters and stuff down in it. And supposedly, I, I haven't been down in there poking around, um, poking around in these bluff shelters, but I've been told there were bluff shelters down in there. And I was also told that there were some, some caves up in the back of that, back of that holler. And I, I don't know that myself personally. I'm, I'm just repeating secondhand information that I've heard there. Uh, I was told that this dog man that they killed was so large that the soldiers, uh, it would have taken a bunch of them to pull, up, to pull it up out of there, to drag it up out of that holler. So they brought a deuce and a half up. And if anybody has military experience, they know most deuce and a half, that's a two and a half ton truck. Yeah. And most of them have a very large PTO-driven winch on the front of them. And, and this is this is something that they use in army use. I mean, these these things are the definition of heavy duty. And with a lot of cable on it, and if they strung a uh, they pulled the winch cable off down in the hollow and used the use the winch to pull the the dog man's body up out of that holler and loaded it in the back of the deuce and a half and left with it going somewhere. I do not know what else they killed, but um, but the belief was was that this one that they killed there in that hollow just south of the of the RV campground was the one that had killed that family. I don't know what evidence they found. I didn't. Well, I was not able to get that kind of detail from anybody. There has been a, a pretty good account uh, written up of that, that that people can find online that a lady by the name of Jan Thompson wrote. And uh, you can do a Google search on Beast of LBL and find out uh, more information. Now, the way I found so out... So Jan Thompson, the Beast of LDL, or LBL, I'm sorry, Land Between the Lakes, if you want to get the more detailed account. About that is in the late, late 80s, early 90s, I will uh, I was... First an assistant scoutmaster and then a, a scoutmaster with the Boy Scouts. And we were preparing to go to Philmont Scout Ranch in summer of 1991. And we were starting to get ready for this by doing, uh, by doing backpack, uh, backpack camping and stuff and hiking. And we started there in, in fall of 90. And we decided to go over to uh, Land Between the Lakes and spend three days over there um, you know, backpacking and, and, and carrying everything that we needed, all our food, gear, and everything with us in our pack as practice for this uh, for the Philmont trip. And so I called my acquaintance, or he was sort of he was more than an acquaintance, but not really a friend. But we knew each other because we'd grown up together. But I called this guy that I knew that was a, was a ranger there at the at the uh, at the park. Told him what we had in mind, and. I didn't know where to start, you know, uh, where we ought to start off our trip at. And he, he told me, you know, to, to start off at a big tiny campground. So I told him when we plan on coming, and he said, oh, good. He said, I'm working that weekend. I'll, I'll drop in and visit. And sure enough, he did. Well, uh, we had enough adults there that uh, the next day when I, we took off on our, on our hike, um, my friend swung by there. You know, right before we left out uh, on our 
on our hike, he came by there and he, you know, was, was talking to me and everything. And he knew that I had known about Bigfoot since I was a little kid because I grew up on a farm where they were. And so he he took me aside and and told me I was curious why he had said don't go to the north end since we were going to be out in the boonies. Why he told us to you know stay down in the south end. And so he he I first heard the story. So the north end of Lambie on the lakes. I mean it's a big peninsula and it goes it goes um, north to south this peninsula. So it doesn't go east to west or any other way. It's it's almost straight due north and south. And it's about it looks like it's it's um it's west um west by northwest of Nashville. Just so you have a little bit better idea. From him in October of nineteen ninety. And as a matter of fact, he took me up there and showed me where all this happened. He was not working and living up there at the time when it happened in, in nineteen eighty two. But some of the guy, some of his fellow rangers who he was still working with at the time had shown him up, you know, had taken him there and shown him where it all happened. So he took me up there and showed me where the old campground was and showed me the exact spot where everything happened, showed me the tree that her, that her body was found in and you know, showed me all that. Now let's fast forward several years. In the early 2000s, we started hearing about Something else that had happened up there, that there had been another, another death, possibly due to dogmen, that had happened in that area. And I contacted uh, my friend, and he would talk on the phone with me about it. But I went up there and got with him, and he was one, and he was there when that happened. In fact, he was one of the one of the two officers, one of the first two officers that were on the scene. When this happened, after this happened, and there was a bow hunter up there that had not come home on Sunday night like he was supposed to, and his wife had called in on Monday morning. And uh, let me back up just a little bit. Anybody that bow hunts knows that, uh, especially with the technology of the broadheads that they had in the early 2000s, that when you shoot a deer, you don't just jump down and take off right after it, like like you're using a rifle. You have to wait you know, 45 minutes to an hour for the deer to bleed out and die before you go looking for it. And if you're up there and, and you happen to shoot right at dusky dark, you know, it's going to be black pitch dark by the time you go looking for it. And then by the time you find it and field dress it and everything and you and you get it back to the truck and or you get it loaded in the truck, it could be very late at night. You know, if you're already camping there, you know, it may a lot of times it's easier just to, you know, try to secure it and, wait till the next morning to get it out of there. So this lady wasn't surprised when her husband didn't show up home on Sunday night. But when he wasn't there Monday morning, she got worried and she called the ranger office there at uh, at LBL. And whoever took the call came in and they came into the, into the room where the, uh, the officers night shift was just coming off duty and the day shift was just coming on duty. They say, hey, you know, uh, Looking for anybody seen a you know white Nissan pickup you know with a, with such and such a license plates on it, and one of the guys says, "Well, yeah, I think I I think I have seen it. I think I know where that where that guy's camping." And so uh, we'll go check on him because he was supposed to be at home. You know, he's supposed to come home last night and he didn't do it. And uh, his wife's called. She's worried about him. So the guy looked over at my friend and says, "Hey, come on, let's go up there and you know." 
and uh, checked this out. So go driving up there, and sure enough, uh, the guy was correct about where he thought the guy was camping, because there was there was this truck, right, the right tag number and everything. As they pulled up into the in the area where he was camping, and by the way, you don't have to camp in campgrounds at LBL. You can camp anywhere you want to, basically, as long as you're a certain number of feet off of the paved road, off the road. Uh, you know, you can you literally can pull off the road and walk 20 feet back into the woods and pitch tent. That's where you want to where you want to camp. And uh, this guy had camped right off about 100 feet off of an old an old dirt road that goes back through the woods. And um, anyway, so they see the guy's truck. They go back there and they get out. First thing they notice, his tent is torn to shreds. I mean, slashed up, torn torn to pieces. And then they find they start seeing evidence of a of a fight. There's, there's blood on the ground. There's pieces of the guy's clothing. They find his bow laying about 75 feet from from the tent, uh, broken. It was a compound bow, and the bow was broken, and um, the the riser section was just snapped in half. And that's uh, people don't know bow hunting very well. That's the handle area where you put your hand, where you where you hold the bow. But it was some part of the riser either was just snapped through. Usually, a lot of compound bows that's made out of cast or forged aluminum. But you know, it was snapped in half right there. They found his quiver there, and the quiver did not have have any arrows missing out of it. And they also determined that the guy had been in the sleeping in his sleeping bag, and whatever it was came in there and tore through the tent and grabbed him and drug him in, in his sleeping bag and drug him out of the tent, pulled him out of the bag, and, you know, had his way with him. They found very distinct marks on the ground where he had been drug off. So they started following it. And they followed the, the drag, the drag line, for over a mile and a half down into a, a big hollow that goes back towards Lake Barkley. Now, mind you, this is, this is probably 10 miles south of where the incident took place back in 1982, but they they follow the 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 drag marks for about a mile and a half, and they come out on a on a little old abandoned field back in the woods, and they find his body laying there in the field, and it had been fed on, and they later determined it had been fed on by multiple animals, by multiple ones of this this type of animal, and they found some of his clothes up in a truck. And examining the body carefully and everything, they figured out that this man had been killed by the same type of animal that had killed the campers, uh, the RV, the people in the RV park 20 years earlier. So my friend was personally involved in that investigation. You know, he was one of the two guys that found the guy's body, and you know, that were first on the scene. Again, he took me there and showed me that place. Now, interesting thing. Uh, and Chuck met this gentleman. We have a friend that, that lives up there, and that he and I have become good friends over the years. And right after I met him, we were talking, and I asked if I asked him if he'd ever heard about any any you know any of this stuff happening up there. And he said he said, "Oh yeah," and uh, he had. And I said, "Well, do you know where you know where that ha- where it happened?" He says, "Oh yeah, sure do." I said, "Would you mind showing me?" <laughs> He said, no, I don't mind at all. So we got in my truck, and he told me where to go, and he took me right to the exact place that you know where where my friend, my law enforcement friend, had taken me. And so 
way I knew that, that he knew what he was talking about. But anyway, I have no idea if they ever found the one that that did uh, that killed that bow hunter. Uh, I've never heard one way or the other what happened. And again, there were so many. There were just tons of military law enforcement people, just all kind of people from every kind of alphabet agency in the world that were in there. And even my friend doesn't know what the, or if he knows, he wasn't, he wouldn't tell me, or he wasn't, wouldn't risk telling me whatever happened uh, uh, to the to the dog man that killed that bow hunter. I, I never have heard uh, any closure or disposition to that story. So, but those are those are always typically a big mop up. Now, this goes on for another over twenty minutes. Of he's very detail oriented this gentleman and um <clears throat> it goes on just more and more detailed verification documentation about what he saw i think you get the gist i, I mean I, I don't detect any guile in the man's voice he's not trying to get rich or anything there's so many of these up there these people don't have hidden agendas you know they're just relaying an, a story I mean, he had multiple eyewitnesses that he had talked to as you could see and um or, or people that of these different two different situations and uh, the stuff's going on. The stuff's going on. But, you know, I, I do these teachings and like this one in particular today so that we understand that, um, you know, these things are coming out of the shadows is the way it seems to me. Um, they're, I think as we get closer and closer to, you know, further into the end times, as evil starts to increase and things of this nature this is something that we want to be prepared to potentially deal with and to pray against. And um, I believe Christians are the only ones on the planet really equipped to deal with it from a spiritual standpoint. Yeah, you could put a 50 cal through their head, um, but if you have something coming up on you, or if you're somewhere in the middle of the night and it's on you, you know, you want to have prayed ahead of time. You know, you want, you want to have this all stuff done ahead of time so that it can't get near you. And um, Christians are really the only ones that are equipped to do that. Uh, so that's all I have for today. And um, I'll go ahead and close this out in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day, this time you've given us. I thank you for letting us come together again, Lord God, to look at these issues. I just pray, God, that whatever um, you would try to show us with this particular information, God, that we would take it to heart, that you give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to receive, that we would also be able to potentially educate other people, whether they're saved or unsaved, that ultimately this would be something that you could actually, would actually be able to lead people to the Lord. And I pray, God, that you strengthen um, all of our faiths, Lord, that you increase all of our faith for the day and times that we're moving into, for the sake of those that need to be saved, that, that, that your name would be glorified through all of these things that you forgive us for any and all sins that we have committed as we forgive those who have sinned against us and that the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart will be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer, and that you cleanse us from presumptuous sins and secret faults that they would not have dominion over us. And we ask all these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.